This is my family, mental illness, and me. My name is Pamela Jenkins, and I'm a researcher at the Mental Health Foundation. My mum, Irene, lived with a mental illness. There were voices only she could hear, and she could quickly switch from feeling very high to very low. No one ever talked about it with me when I was young, even though I knew my mum was often unwell. When I was in my 20s, that's when a psychiatrist told me that my mum had schizoaffective disorder. Sadly, I lost her quite recently to COVID-19. But even though she's gone, her mental health will always be a huge part of my life. In each of these podcasts, I'll speak to someone else whose parent has or had a mental illness. In the UK, there are at least 3 million children of parents with mental illness. If you're one, it's really important that you know you're not alone. My Family, Mental Illness and Me is a podcast series from the charity Our Time with support from the Mental Health Foundation. Our Time champions and supports children of parents with mental illness and their families. We've put links to more information in the show notes. This time, I'm chatting with someone whose dad is one of the most famous faces in British politics and who is now an author and comedian in her own right. My name is Grace Campbell. I'm a comedian my first book, Amazing Disgrace, came out in October last year. The paperback's coming out this summer. And I make loads of stupid videos for the internet as well. Good morning, Grace. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. It's really lovely to meet you. As you know, we're here to share stories about um, people's experience of being a child of a parent with mental illness and what it's like to, to grow up and um, how that's impacted on your life. So... I just want to open the floor up to you really initially and just say, you know, what is your experience? Um, what do you first remember? So my dad has depression and, you know, he has had anxiety as well. And I think, so he left Downing Street, he was working for Tony Blair for like the first 10 years of my life, basically. Started working for Tony Blair when I was like a month old. Then my dad left Downing Street when I was like nine or 10 um 2003 yeah it would have been nine and he just had this massive crash and it was you know a really really big period of depression he now says he remembers it just being like a period of depression but for me it was really big because it was the first time I'd seen him like that and he just couldn't get out of bed he just couldn't sort of you know, as a nine-year-old child, I remember just thinking, why can't this guy just smile? Like, why isn't he, like, smiling at things I say? Like, well, where is his enthusiasm for life? Like, he just couldn't find it in himself to be enthusiastic. And I remember, like, this is a story I, t I tell in my book, but I remember wanting him to take me to the cinema really badly and Chief by the Dozen had just come out and that was, like, soon to be my favourite film in the whole world and still is. Um... <laughs> And I remember just begging him every day, can you take me to cinema, can you take me to cinema, can you take me to cinema? And he just couldn't, like, he couldn't get out of bed, he couldn't open the blinds. And eventually I broke him down, and I think he could see how much he was upsetting me. And then he took me to cinema, and, he, and then that was the beginning of the end of that period. And then that just became, like, a sort of theme of our lives, but it's just gotten much easier, like from the first time of experiencing it, of thinking, have I done something wrong? You know, you always take things personally. I've got 
best friends who are in relationships with people with mental illness, my mum, you always, for a period, you do just take it personally. You're like, what is it that I'm doing wrong? Why can't they just be happy? It must be my fault. And I think over time, that's just something I've gotten really much more used to, um, which has been very helpful in my personal relationships as well. So you feel that it's given you some sort of, well, what do you feel it's given you? Do you when you say it's helpful, then... I think that combined with my my own mental illness has given me a deep empathy for people. Yeah. I understand that a lot of life and a lot of people's behaviour comes down to what's going on internally or things they haven't processed properly. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really what it's given me is empathy. I remember being at school, at secondary school, and just thinking, like, you know, there were people who were, like, so horrible... And then I was also really horrible, uh, was at a girls' school. And I just remember thinking, you know, they're probably going through a lot of shit at home. Like, Mm -hmm. I just knew that from a young age because I knew what my home life was like and I understood that I was a bit of a see you next Tuesday at school (laughs) because my home life was really chaotic and dysfunctional. Um, So it's just, yeah, I just always understand, like, you know, I always try and think before I'm angry, when I'm angry at someone something I've had to taught, teach myself is to just think like, what might they be going through right now that has nothing to do with you? That Absolutely. is probably the root cause of like why they're behaving this way before you go attack, attack, attack. Yeah. It's so easy to just be really reactive, isn't it? And not stop and think actually maybe they've got something going on that you can't see. You said that, um, that empathy sort of translated into that thought when you were at school of, well, there might be things going on at home for these other girls. Did you ever talk about what was going on at home with anybody at school? Probably when I got, like, to sixth form, I started to. I don't think properly. I don't think you know how to articulate that stuff when you're a teenager, and I don't think you should be expected to either. Like, Mm -hmm. you are so young. So I would have probably said, oh, my dad has depression. But would I have said, like, how it had impacted me or, like, no, I don't think so. No. Was there anybody that you spoke to about it at any stage, sort of regularly, that helped at all? Yeah, so one of my best friends, Tyler, she's approved me talking about this, but her mum had a drink problem and then died when we were 14 years old and that so so we had this kind of unspoken about bond we became friends when we were like eight nine ten years old we lived on we live on parallel roads to each other when we were kids it was very much like we won't talk about the fact that we've got dysfunction at home but we very much connected over that and very much stuck together because of it and I think when her mum died and that was a huge shock for like her obviously and for for me and it was it was the first grief of that kind I think mm-hmm. then that did open up a conversation with her so I'd say she's the person who I have processed a lot of these emotions with but even then at the age of 14 again like and this is why people who go through serious trauma like it should just be a thing that they all have to do therapy because you don't process those things and then you do have a breakdown at some point if you haven't processed those things like I've seen it over and over again with myself my friends like 
there was just a point where we all got into our early 20s. So I got anxiety when I was 18. And then it was like one by one, all of my friends started having panic attacks because we'd all been through really big things in our adolescence and childhood that we hadn't dealt with. And you internalise it. And you're not, like you said before, about not being able to articulate it. You don't even necessarily know that that's what's happening, that you're not dealing with it or not talking about it. Even with that friend that you had the bond with, it was sort of an unspoken bond until her mum died. Do you think it's because of the not being able to articulate it or are there any other reasons you think you didn't speak about it? I think you're honestly too young. Like I think when you're a child, you're a child. And so when I was nine and I became friends with Tyler, there were obvious reasons why we both wanted to be each other's friends. We obviously love each other and we're still best friends today, but like there were like circumstances which meant that we just would hang out every day after school, all day. We would always play out on the street. We were together all the time. And I just think at that age, you don't know how to turn around and say, oh, this is how I'm feeling, this is how I'm feeling. Yeah. You, just, you just don't. And obviously it's amazing when children do know how to do that. And hopefully my kids, when I raise them, I will teach them to be more emotionally literate in that way. But that just wasn't the circumstances of the noughties. It just, you know, the world has changed since then. Parenting has changed since then. You know, I just don't think we should have been expected to be able to talk about that stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Did you ever ever speak to your mum and dad about it? Or did they ever talk to you about it openly? Yes, definitely. I mean, my dad sat us all down one day and I was the youngest. My brothers are like seven and eight years older than me. But I remember when that happened, when he left Downing Street, he sat us down one day and said, look, I have this condition, it's called depression, this is how it goes, this is how it feels, described it to us, told us about what that was like. And obviously, again, that's quite hard to grasp. I actually think it's really hard to grasp any form of mental illness unless you've experienced it. Like, until I got my own mental illness and, like, my own versions of, like, disorders... I couldn't understand what anxiety felt like. You know, I couldn't understand what depression felt like. I couldn't understand what OCD felt like. And then I started to experience it. And again, like the empathy then comes, I think, from understanding exactly what that feels like. So I started having panic attacks when I was 18. And I remember describing it to my mum and she goes, oh, you're having a panic attack. Because I was like, I'm on drugs. I was like, I've been drugged. You know, that's how it felt. I was in Paris. And I genuinely felt I had been drugged and someone had spiked me with a hallucinogenic pill because my I was losing my mind and it felt like everything was ending. It was just the scariest thing in the world and like nothing from that moment has been l- more scary than that. But I remember saying it to mum, she said, oh, you're just having a panic attack. And I was like, what the fuck is a panic attack? Like, I don't know what that means. And then mm-hmm. I spoke to my dad who has had panic attacks and he's actually had panic attacks like on live television before, like. He was once doing an Andrew Marr interview. I can watch it now and I can see he's having a panic attack when I watch it. But I remember when that happened, I was probably like at secondary school and I I wouldn't have understood what that was. So when I started having my own things of that, I then thought, fuck, like my dad's been experiencing this shit for all this time, managing to do all of the things he's been doing, working in government, you know, being very, very successful and like, hard working that's really impressive yeah yeah it, it is it is because it's I think something that 
um, is also not talked about enough is that living with mental illness can be managed and it can it's not life limiting you can have a successful career and you can have a family and acknowledging it and getting that help if and when you need it when you said about after you were sort of nine ten and that was your first recollection of your dad's depression and then it in your mind became part just of your lives what did that look like I only have a vivid memory of the first experience of it. Like, I would say after that, it just became, you know, like now I can sort of tell when he's had a bout of depression. My mum definitely can. And then she'll say to me, like, he's he's depressed. But you can hear it in his voice and you can see it in his eyes. And so I I got used to understanding that. I think the thing that I found difficult as a public figure, as having him as a public figure, is that he would put on this front outside the house of, like, being fine. Even though, again, you could always see it in his eyes and you could always hear it in his voice. His depression really hits his voice. So I can always tell that. But I think there there was this conflict of, like, the outside of him putting on a brave face and then the inside of what he was actually feeling. But now, having again like have my own struggles and been in long-term relationships I have experienced my partners also having that same frustration of like but you're fine when we go out to the pub you know and then at home you're really angry and sad and are crying all the time so like how can you just switch that on but you can yeah and that must be hard as well when you were saying that you didn't understand why you weren't able to cheer him up or make him better, but yet he was able to be outside the house and put that face on. It's a very difficult thing for a child to, because you're saying now you understand that, but as a child, not understanding why your parent is one way at home with you and completely different outside the home with other people. It definitely is a really confusing thing to process when you're that age and I like coming back to what I said earlier like you do just take it quite personally because like so I can remember him being at home and he'll be like lying on the sofa like very physically and emotionally like depressed and just like you know nothing in him essentially like no energy like very lethargic like no enthusiasm and then he'll go literally to like the Sky News van who's turned up on our street and then you'll watch him on TV and he's like a different person. That is a weird thing to go through. And I know my mum took this much personally because she was his partner. Like she would feel very much like, how come you're fine with these people and you're and you're not you're not fine with me? And and also you're not nice. It is difficult and I empathise it with completely, but, like, he could be quite just, like, not very nice when he was in that way. And, like, and it's not like he wasn't, like, horrible. It would just be that thing of, like, you know when you're with someone and, and now I've I've been that person and so, like, I get it and I get it, I get what it's like to be on both sides of it, which is why, like, I, I it's, it's very confusing in relationships for me because... I understand what that feels like but when you are that person no one can actually help you there are things people can do to make it better but they cannot make it go away and the really frustrating part of that is that if somebody says and I would say this when I was a kid to my dad oh what's wrong like why aren't you happy what can I do to help and it would upset him and frustrate him because there's nothing you can do 
you know, there's like, it's about time and looking after yourself and waiting for the storm that you're in to pass. Um, and I think that's what like he found difficult was that I would, I would say all of those things, obviously. Oh, why are you like this? Why can't you just cheer up? You know, I was nine. Come on. Like, don't cancel me but like it's true because you you again and it was the noughties like we didn't have a huge understanding then of what all of this meant and then I think that would really frustrate him and make him retreat more yeah and and I think there hasn't been and still isn't a big enough understanding of the impact it has on the children who are witnessing and experiencing also the mental illness and that internalizing and and I think certainly in in my own experience that that need to try and make it go away and help it get better. It's a very natural thing, I think, for a child to want to do. And it's impossible, it's futile. And if we're not talking to children about that and they're living in, in these circumstances, then it it's very conflicting. Yeah, I think it's very confusing. I also think it gives you, like... Because basically... In life, I think most people at some point are going to go through moments of, like, poor mental health. You know, if they don't, good for them. But, like, that's very, very rare. So one of my best, 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 best friends, she has depression and PTSD and OCD. And so we... I have learned a lot also from being her best friend because very similarly to my dad she just goes through periods where she does just shut off and not actually want to talk to anyone because she knows that thing of like I there's nothing anyone can say therefore I don't want to feel frustrated at them I'm just gonna wait till it passes and so experiencing that because that's a really specific thing to go through um and it's and that is a that is a sort of more severe version of like mental illness both of them like really really go through very bad bouts of depression and I am around that a lot and I have just learned like all of the right things to do and say and that is just about time it's about experience it's about understanding that that could be you it's about also having felt those things it's about like knowing that there's kind of no right thing that you can say all you need to do is make them feel like you're not going anywhere Because I think the main thing, and I've experienced this in relationships a lot, is like, when I have really bad periods, I'll get so scared that they're going to leave me. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, well, why would you stay with me? Like, I'm such a nightmare. And that is just a really, really awful cherry on top. When you're really in a bad way, to then think that everyone's going to leave you and you're going to be abandoned. And I think the main thing is always making people feel like you're not leaving them. And you have such a unique experience that you can contribute, like you said before, the empathy you understand. And so you know where to position yourself for that person when they're experiencing that. And that's a really positive thing to have come out of your experience. And it's also interesting as well that, you know, you you still, you can't rationalize with yourself either. You didn't abandon your dad. You know, you've, you're, you've still got your relationship with your dad, yet that fear of abandonment isn't rational. I think it really, I think it comes down to the shame that you experience when you have poor mental health and you think like, why would anyone want to be with me? Why would anyone want to hang out with me? Look at me. I'm so complicated and messy. My life is messy. And like, my dad felt that with my mum. 
you know, it's, it's, you just get paranoid about the fact that, like, God, like, I'm not as fun as, like, Susan over there who's, you know, always fine, that kind of thing. You just, you just do. In life, there are people who do stay and there are people who don't stay. And I don't blame either of those people, those types of people, but I just want people in my life that I know are going to make me feel safe and secure. Yeah. And when you talk about shame, do you recall ever experiencing that sense of shame at all as a child within the the sort of context of your dad's mental illness? Like, yes, definitely. Because you, it, again, like not to repeat myself, but when you blame yourself, that is shame. Yeah. You're, you're saying like, this is something I'm doing wrong. You're mm-hmm. making it personally about you. So like shame is essentially one of the ways I describe it, and I've just written a whole sort of funny book about it, but, like, one of the ways I describe it is, like, it's a feeling where you blame yourself for something you haven't done, yeah. basically. So, like, whether it's about your body, that's the world telling you that your body isn't right. Whether mm-hmm. it's about sex, relationships, that's because other people have told you what you're doing is shameful. It isn't actually shameful. I think there are things you should be ashamed of if you kill someone, if you rape someone. There are loads, if you rob people like that is a shameful thing but in life we and I think women especially are offloaded so much unnecessary shame that doesn't actually belong in us it belongs in society no I can completely relate to that with my mom it was my mom that had um mental illness schizoaffective disorder she had so schizophrenia and bipolar it's like a good old mix of the two it was that sense of shame but I think for me god I think the shame still lives with me but not it's sort of mutated from a shame at the time akin to what you're describing to a shame now where I feel like I wish I had not been so ashamed <laughs> I, you know and there's like a Ooh. it's not ashamed it's not it's a very difficult one I suppose to describe, I think it's quite distinct for different people. That feeling can be quite different. Did you have shame about telling other people outside of your family life? Yes, I did. And also other people seeing my mum's illness was very outwardly presenting. So she would talk to herself and laugh. She could sometimes be volatile, but not ever with me. I was honestly sometimes just mortified. So that was the shame that I felt it was the shame that my mum was behaving the way that she was behaving. And then now I feel shame because I I was mortified by her. That makes me feel terrible because as an adult now, I can look back and 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 see that and be more rational about it. And like, that's exactly what you said. Children can't articulate these things and aren't expected to, but then nobody spoke to me about it. So... Well, I know, but also you should, I know it's like, you shouldn't also still carry that shame because again, like that is a normal reaction to have as someone who doesn't have a complex understanding of what mental illness is, you know, like my uncle who sadly now passed away, but he had paranoid schizophrenia. I mean, he was the best person in the entire world. Like literally that's the person that in my life I could bring anyone back. He was just the the best, the funnest, the biggest character. But he would talk to himself all the time. You know, I remember like the before he died, we did Christmas together and 
we were like loads of us sitting around the table and he was just talking to himself and like it was just we it just was normal it was normalized because by that point yeah we understood you know like what what that had become but I remember as a child being like what is going on you know like this is just yeah bizarre and and you you watch films and like some of the portrayals mm. of that kind of mental illness were just really unhelpful yeah. and harmful and adds to you not wanting to say or talk about it or let anybody know I mean and the la- the language like I remember being at school and like people would be like oh my god the weather today is so schizophrenic oh. and I'd be like that's actually like not even a, an accurate use of that word but I would yeah. always call that out my dad taught me from a very young age you know oh my god she's so bipolar my dad taught me from a really young age that you just cannot say stuff like that because it's a misinterpretation of what that actually is Donald my uncle coming back to what you said earlier about like you can very much manage your mental illness like Donald he had a great job uh he was a bagpipe player you know he he lived with his mental illness it did defeat him in the end really really tragically but he lived a life with mental illness and he lived a full life um and you know that's just such a misconception of those types of mental illnesses that it that it ruins your life you just you just have to you have to get get on with it basically yeah and I completely agree with you around the language I think that's an issue that really needs to be addressed using just words like psycho and crazy and I think people it's obviously just it's what people do and there's they're not thinking about it but there are times I'll be in conversation with someone and they'll just drop that in and I find it quite offensive and it it contributes to that fear and that shame of actually talking about for a child who has a parent with mental illness that language contributes to that shame this is something I talk about a lot one of my earliest memories my mum whenever she read me a bedtime story I always say there were three of us in the room because I've spent so much of the time trying to say to her, can you stop laughing, mum? Stop talking. Who are you talking to? Can you read the story? She'd be away and she would read a, wee, a couple of lines and then she'd be off again. And, and But that was just what I knew. I didn't realise that that wasn't just how it was. And nobody ever said anything about it. And it's only when you get a bit older and you start to think, oh, actually, I don't know if I want my friends coming over to stay because that's... That's not how their mum and dad behave. So it it sort of then becomes secretive and then you're leading two separate lives. And that's why I asked you before about um, when you were at school and did you talk about it? And it's just really interesting that sort of juncture between the life outside of home and then the life inside the house. So that's why I wondered if you had how much you really spoke about it with other people. Yeah, and I I think what's like what's so difficult like your situation is if somebody just addressed it when you were a child at some point just said by the way like this is what your mum is going through it's normal you is nothing mm-hmm. you know this is her condition that then alleviates a lot of the shame you know and it's that easy it's someone else saying to you yeah my dad has that as well like or might you know yeah. and to, to just make you feel like you're not the only person in the world going through that absolutely absolutely nobody really knows how to have this conversation with children about what's going on with the mental health of their parents and it's a it's still a problem I know and I, I do hope with like our generations to come you know when I have children I will address with them from a young age that uh, what what I'm going through and and what they're 
father or whoever I end up having babies with is Mm -hmm. also going through because basically everyone in a way in life is going through something at some time all the time and growing up I was a witness to so many different types of dysfunctional families not just my own Mm -hmm. but like every single family is dysfunctional in a way every single family is keeping stuff inside the house versus outside the house and like that those are just things you have to process those are just things you have to communicate to children yeah so I just hope when we have kids that does start to change because we teach our kids how to be emotionally fluent yeah absolutely so so yeah I mean I think coming back to that experience of like watching my dad outside the house being so happy no, I think about that sometimes. Like I've I've gone through really bad periods, but I'll always be able to like be fine on Instagram. And it's almost like a a safe space. Almost, I don't know. It's funny where you can have this this outwardly presenting really great life, and and just thinking about for children now who've got a parent with mental illness who are on Facebook, and then like you said about showing great family lives, and they're seeing their friends putting up pictures of their family it's just sort of again feeding into that sense of shame or wanting like a desire to want to have a different life at home than the one that you've got I'm I'm so pleased that Facebook and Instagram and everything didn't exist when I was young I really I just don't think I would have coped and I've got two little boys and I fear for them when it gets to that stage because and one of them actually the older one he's he'll be eight next week actually but he's been struggling a wee bit with anxiety and you know it was always in the back of my mind the older one really really feels things um very deeply he's had quite severe anxiety actually over the last few months because of covid and uh, my mum passed away in february and that really hit him hard and i and i can recognize so much of that anxiety because i had it um when i was young I now realise because of my experience with my mum, I was just anxious about her all, all the time. And so I find myself thinking now, am I behaving in ways that are bringing out that anxiety for him? Is it me? You know, so I, I still struggle with anxiety sometimes, but not anything like I did when I was young and, and when I was a teenager. And and as far as I'm aware, he doesn't see that. He's not seen me necessarily struggling with my mental health. But then I don't know, has he? And and obviously he could have anxiety for a number of reasons. And there are many reasons, like I just mentioned, that he probably has it. Mm. But there's just that permanent in my mind, like, you know, thinking, gosh, my mum, obviously she had a very severe and enduring mental illness. And, you know, that was an acute diagnosis. But... I find, I think, oh gosh, is it is it something in him and, and in me, that anxiety mm. that's just there? Or is there something I could do to stop it? Well, it's such a fear, you know, that's a really normal fear. I remember like when I had a breakdown when I was 18, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be permanently mentally ill, just like my dad, just like my uncle, just like, or, like lots of people in my family, my brother... Like, you know, we're a very mentally ill family. And I was like, oh, it's obviously, and then I'm going to pass it down and it's going to be a theme of my whole life. And probably, you know, you'll know more than me, but I think it is a complicated thing to work out because I don't think it's necessarily genetic, but I think it's, it's, you know, the way you're raised, how you experience, like, like you said, your son is really sensitive and he feels things. 
that's probably a lot down to his just natural disposition mm-hmm. as a human yeah. because people are different and people feel and process things in different ways. He just is that way to some extent. And then probably he is reactive because we all are and we all pick yeah. up from the environments that we're in. But that's also not a bad thing, you know, like if that is the case, if he is going to then have anxiety, that's something that he'll live with and he'll actually probably be a much more empathetic and understanding person because of it. Absolutely. You know, like it's not going to make him a bad person. It's just going to mean that he understands things Mm -hmm. in a much more complex and nuanced way. And that's a good thing, despite potential struggles. Yeah, I completely agree with you 100%. I think, and you talked about it as well, being more empathetic because of your experience. I think it builds resilience. I I certainly feel stronger and more of an independent person because of things that have happened in the past. And so whilst you you wouldn't wish wish it on your children, obviously, you would, you know, you want them never to have to struggle in that way. There is a silver lining there to be found and the outcome doesn't have to be a bad one. Oh God, I'm all about the cliches today. Can make lemonade. Do you think the experience with your father impacted later on your mental health? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think you don't process enough when you're young. So then it does impact you in your later life. Mm-hmm. I definitely then had to deal with with experiences of my childhood when I was old enough to be capable of doing that, basically. And that's why therapy, 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 I wish everyone in the world could access therapy, because we all have things that we haven't dealt with. Again, every single person, obviously, like, some people, Susan, like, do not, and good for them. But in my experience, everyone I've ever been in a relationship with, all of my best friends, like, they're, they're, they've all got stuff that they could talk out. Yeah, and wouldn't it be great if kids could have access to counselling or therapy from a young age, regardless, really, of if they've got a parent at home with a mental illness, but particularly so if they do, Um just to have that access to an external person, an objective person who they can then talk their feelings through with, because that's so important for children. It's so important. And actually, like, that just would be amazing um, in a dream world. But, like, unfortunately, we're not there yet. And so I think it's just about everyone taking responsibility for anything that they can do to like positive positively impact kids so like you know if you are friends with a person who's a parent and you can see that your friend is struggling and they have children you step in me and my friends have this kind of village vibe of like when we all start to have children we will all you know pick up and help each other when we can because like that's just the way that we've I guess functioned whenever someone's going through something bad we all turn up to help them. and that's really lucky to have that because that is something that used to you know it takes a village that whole idea that doesn't really exist so much anymore and if you can have that when you start to have your own family with your friends and they're effectively your family that's a really really special place to be gosh that's that's really really good the thing I've really worked out with my friends is that like and that was work and that was like a lot of effort for all of us but is that I have friendships that I know no matter how much of a prick I am they aren't going to go anywhere because they are you know we are indebted to each other and that is a really really yeah it's a security and it's a really nice feeling to know that but it wasn't something that just happened it was something that you know I really did 
decide this is going to be as important to me as any relationship with a man and do you think that's do you think that came from what happened with your dad I think so I think it comes from so a lot of my anxiety when I was younger was about my parents dying um and I think a lot of that came from the way that my dad was and and um seeing him in such bad ways I was really conscious that they're going to die one day they're going to die and I was obsessed with death if I outlive them, they I will live in a world without them. And I depend on them so much. And I'm so lucky to have parents that I can depend on who are really, really amazing parents um, now. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're working in politics, they weren't the most <laughs> present people. But that's, I definitely think that's what I've tried to create in my friendships. Yeah. Other children who have a parent with a mental illness don't necessarily have that unconditional love or support. And sometimes they don't live with their parents as they're growing up. So having that is is so important. Despite that, I guess what's really interesting is that when you talk about your home life growing up with your dad's mental illness, regardless of circumstances, sometimes that experience for a child of having a parent with a mental illness can be very traumatic it's how we how we make that situation less traumatic and less chaotic. It sounds like you've got a really good plan if anything were to come up with yourself or a friend where you needed help in that situation. It, it wouldn't necessarily be so traumatic for the child because you've got you've got each other and it's open and it's spoken about. Yeah, I think it's it's about like normalization. I would be really good if like we we would be out and I'd say I have to leave. I'm feeling so anxious. Like I think I'm gonna yeah. have a panic attack, rather than just saying I have to go and making up some bullshit reason. And then you know it's just that it's just it, once you normalize it, once you speak about it, it becomes so much easier. You're carrying that thing together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are some people who because it isn't spoken about or they don't speak about it, might experience these things and not know what it is. So if it was more out there and we're speaking about it more, then recognising the symptoms would also be a lot easier. So you wouldn't think, gosh, you know, I'm having a panic attack, I'm going to die. You would know it was a panic attack and that it would pass. Well, I think that's the main thing. So like for anyone listening to this, the main thing I always say to people and I always need people to say to me when I'm in the midst of it is it will pass. It feels like it's going to never end but it will pass and then you'll be out of it and you won't even remember what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you think when you look back at that period when you were young, between nine and, you know, 18, when you were at home with your dad and he wasn't well at times, do you still remember the, the pain or those feelings you had? Yeah, I mean, yes, definitely. But I think I've just processed it now. And I think I've processed the fact that I'll probably have anxiety on and off throughout my life I've accepted that you know so I think yes I, I definitely think back about my childhood and think god yeah there were things about that that were really shit but like I've accepted it now um because I've processed it and I've and I've therapized yeah um if if I hadn't done that then yeah I probably wouldn't be sitting here saying all of this stuff and and your mental illness and your parents you know your father's mental illness doesn't define you and it doesn't define him it's just there and it's something that's dealt with and part of who you both are but it's not your whole identity you know I think that's something that's really important for people to remember especially children now their 
parents' mental illness doesn't define them and it doesn't define the child. It's just difficult to know that sometimes when you're young. I think so, yeah. I think that's just that's just a part of the of the journey, I think. You just get much better at dealing with it. Yeah. And it is a journey. It's a good way of describing it. And different journeys for different people, depending on circumstances, depending on the mental illness. But I think it's just so great that you've been here speaking about yours. I think it's so important to just hear as many different experiences as we can to know what's going on and to sort of create this community around it. Then people know they're not on their own. Grace, thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. It's been so wonderful to hear your story and to hear all about your experience. And I'm sure everybody will enjoy listening to it. And I just, I really can't thank you enough. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. Grace Campbell, thank you so much to her for taking time to chat with me. Grace's book is called Amazing Disgrace and she is at Grace Campbell on Twitter. My Family, Mental Illness and Me is a podcast from Our Time with support from the Mental Health Foundation. Visit OurTime.org.uk for support and resources for children and families affected by parental mental illness. You can follow them on social media at Our Time Charity and we've also put lots more links and places to find information and support in the show notes. Also, if you feel like you're struggling with mental health or you've been affected by anything in this episode, it's really important you speak to someone. There are links to help in the show notes, but also you can contact your GP, the Samaritans on 116123 or Childline 0800 1111. Thank you so much for being with us today. Subscribe to our feed so you get future episodes automatically downloaded. And if you know someone who'd benefit from hearing these stories we're sharing, please let them know we're here. That's really important. We really want people to know that they're not alone. This is a Bespoken Media production with music and sound design by Joel Cox. See you next time.